0: Now it's on. You got me? This was turned off, so I turned it on. That's interesting. I just turned it on, so. All right. Okay. Nothing? Is the podium mic working? Hello. Okay. <laughs> okay. We're here. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. There we go. Let's uh, let's go to the Lord and uh, one more time and ask Him to help us this morning. Obviously need help with the technology as much as anything else but uh, we need him. Father we thank you this morning for uh, your grace to us and your love to us. Thank you Lord as we ponder the thought that you are for us and you provided salvation for us in the Lord Jesus Christ I pray this morning as we look into your word that we will say words that will point to you And that we will come to know you in a deeper and richer way. I pray for any who may be here this morning who don't know what it is to know their sins forgiven. That they may fully trust Christ. And that they will ponder the words that they hear. And look into your word and do business with God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got good news for you. And the good news is... I have to catch the boat to PEI at I have to be there at two fifteen. So I can't go overtime. So that's the good news. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, I'm going on the I'm going to family camp. I call it the poor man's cruise. There's a ship, gets you to PEI. All your meals are included for one price. You get a place to sleep. It might be squalor, but you still get a place to sleep. And you get to hang out and do all kinds of things and there's a water slide there and a place to swim. So it's just like being on a cruise ship only it's in PEI, it's on land, and if you haven't been there, you should go. Esther and I waited until the kids were growing up before we started going to family camp, so yeah. this is going to be awesome. <laughs> um, Daniel chapter 5, very interesting story as we get into this, very interesting historical account that's given here. Um, I want to start off by saying that the, there was a teacher that was lecturing his class one time, and he noticed that a student in the back row was, was fast asleep, nodded off. And so he said to the to the neighbor, the guy sitting next to this student said, "Uh, hey, wake that guy up. And the neighbor answered back, he says you put him to sleep, you wake him up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, falling asleep on the job, um, it might be harmless to some, I mean I've done that a couple times uh, at work. It's a quiet day, which is usually not that often, but you're really, really tired and you're at your desk, and I'm around the corner from everybody, and you can close the door, pretend you're on a conference call, stick your head down on the desk, and doze off. It happens every now and again. And when you wake up from that, man, you could work forever because it's called a power snooze. So, But if you're the ruler of a country, you do not want to be asleep on the job. We're going to read about one today. You know, good. The uh, interesting thing is, Hotels will uh, often offer you a wake-up call. Um, now, I, I, this is before cell phones. I mean, now we have an alarm in our cell phone. I have an alarm in this little thing around my wrist that I, I set it. It just buzzes and wakes me up, and, and it's, it's great. But there was a day, and I remember when I used to travel a lot, going to hotels and saying, I'll have a wake-up call for 6 o'clock. <laughs> or if you had to catch a flight, could you give me a wake-up call for 4 a.m.? Uh, that, that's more or less like this kind of wake-up call. It's like they've come in and poured ice water on you. But other wake-up calls, it's become a, a term that we use now, not just in staying in a hotel and they, and they come and they, and they dial your room and wake you up for something, but 9-11 was called a wake-up call, a wake-up call to the terrorism that's out there and to be watchful and our national security and both Canada, the U.S., and around the world. Now, here's another story that I came across, and I, I didn't realize this, but as the Titanic was going across the Atlantic and it was coming into the ice field, the, uh, S- Cyril Evans was a, a radio operator on the Californian, and he started sending warning messages to the Titanic, and he was more or less saying, come on, guys, you're going through an ice field and you're going full steam ahead. What are you doing? And, and Jack Phillips, who was a wireless operator on the Titanic, came back and he said, Shut up, shut up, I'm busy, I'm working. A wake-up call ignored. And as a result, 1,500 people met their death that night. A wake-up call is something that we get, and it's not to be ignored. You see, a warning, or information, rather, that we get if we don't take appropriate action, it can lead to devastation. Belshazzar, the king that we're going to read about today in Babylon, he had all the information, but he didn't act on it. He just ignored the information that he had. And as a result, you'll see what devastation and, 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 uh, and destruction came to him. Well, it's the same for us. If we ignored what the Bible says to us, then devastation lies ahead for us. When the Bible's giving us warnings, stop doing this, start doing that. Turn, repent, turn from your sin. And we just go, I'm gonna put that on ignore, shut up, shut up, I'm busy. Then devastation will lie ahead for us. God tries different ways sometimes to to get people's attention. Tries to get us to turn to him. Stop what you're doing. Look, turn. You're on the wrong road, someone has said. You need to get on the right road. The Bible warns us in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, it's time to wake out of sleep. Wake out of sleep. And sometimes we just go through life and we totally ignore the cries from God. We totally ignore the things that he puts in our lives and it's to our own destruction. And the king will read about today. This is what we're going to see. So, There's a big cocktail party going on. King Belshazzar. Now the interesting thing about King Belshazzar is that skeptics, don't you love skeptics? They call themselves scholars, and they ridicule the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel, you gotta be kidding. Talks about kings that didn't even exist. Belshazzar, no proof that Belshazzar ever lived. You gotta be kidding me. So therefore, if Belshazzar didn't live, then the book of Daniel, chapter five, is bogus. And if chapter 5 is bogus, then why listen to the other 11 chapters? Then the prophecies are bogus, then the person of Daniel is bogus, blah, 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 it goes on and on and on. Uh, It's interesting, though. My eyes aren't working today, but I'm going to try to get over here and read it. In 1854, it's interesting. Clay cylinders were found. I love this stuff. I love when the skeptics are screaming and yelling and going up and down and making all kinds of noise. I just love that. Because usually God will say, yeah, now's the time. Let's, 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 why don't you dig over there? And they dig something up. And so they found, here's, here's a cylinder that was found. Clay cylinders, four of them. Identical inscriptions excavated from a, a Ur, which is in Babylon. They were called in the Nebon... Nabonidus, I'm going to call him. Okay, Nabonidus cylinders, and Nabonidus was Belshazzar's father, and his prayer was to the moon god for Belshazzar, the eldest son, my offspring. Huh? Wow. Okay. Well, maybe there was a Belshazzar, and then in 1882, a translation was found on another ancient cuneiform text. Nabonidus Chronicles was published, and it was called. According to this document, Nabonius was an absentee king. He was living in Tema, Arabia, about 725 kilometers away. The king left Belshazzar, his oldest son, the crown prince, to care for the affairs of Babylon at that time while he's gone. And under his rule, Babylon fell to the Medes and Persians. Don't you love when you see something like this? They just dug out of the earth the proof that just silenced all those guys, all those profs, all those fellows that just said "Ah, the Bible, bogus book, there's names in it that don't even exist. And then all of a sudden, somebody pulls up out of the earth a piece of rock that's got names on it and says, oh yeah, and now they've been silenced. Nobody questions this whole idea of the book of Daniel and and Belshazzar. So he is a real king. Nabonius, his father, was away Uh, for 14 of a 17-year reign, just out of town, just enjoying the life 700 kilometers away. So Belshazzar, his son, ruled in the palace. Now, Belshazzar, so what's going on here at this point in time? They're surrounded. They're surrounded. The Medes, the Persians, they have them surrounded. By this time, they have Nabonius, his father, in custody. And they're about to move in on Babylon. So what do you do when you're the government? You have a party he just throw a big party because like we're surrounded we're done we're cooked so he throws this big party thousands of lords they come and they all get tipsy and they're at this big party so let's read about the wild party here whoops there's there's my four points by the way wild party a weird picture a wise prophet and a weighty announcement john mckim would be proud <laughs> so here's the party Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, now I'm going to stop there for a second, his father, you said Nebuchadnezzar's his father. In the Bible when you read father, it could mean grandfather, it could mean great-great-grandfather. It'll talk about Jesus being the son of David. Well, there's many thousands of years between David and David and Jesus, but it's through the line of descent. There is no word for grandfather or great-grandfather in the scriptures, it just means that King Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, but they use the word father. The gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, in order that the king, his nobles, and his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house, of, uh, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and all of his nobles and his concubines, uh, his wives and his concubines drank from them. And they drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood. So they have this big party. They're all getting tipsy. And this, this is just going on. So, I mean, it's your tax dollars at work. We're being surrounded. We're going down. Let's spend money on a party, so that's kind of what what happened here. Why did they party? Well, probably because the morale was sagging. As you see people surrounding your city, about to take your kingdom. um, Let's have a party. Let's get drunk and forget about it. Let's get drunk and feel good about life. Um, We're in fear. You know what? If we have some booze here, we'll have some confidence. Um, So, I want you to note that this is 60 to 70 years, about 60 years after Daniel was captured in chapter 1. So things move very, very quickly through Daniel. Daniel's about 70 years old at the time, 70 to 80 years old at the time of this. So this wild party was, was, was done. It was a calculated insult against the God of heaven. So oftentimes what they would do is when you go in and you, and you lay siege against... Uh, 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 um, What do you call an established government? A kingdom. You and you and you take all of their stuff, their religious stuff, and then what you do is humiliate their gods. That's another way of getting into their heads. So they would take the the implements that were for praising the god of heaven, and so the Babylonians would say, "Let's add more insult to this. We'll use their holy and consecrated and set apart vessels for our wild party, and that'll just further insult these guys." So this is one of the things that they, that they would do. So it's a calculated insult against the Jewish God. Belshazzar, now he's getting drunk at this party. And it's like just going on and on. And he's, a thousand of his lords, wives, concubines, they're all there. Wine, women, and, and vessels. He's asleep at the switch. Like, you're surrounded, man. And you're getting drunk. This is not a good thing. You've chosen the wrong way to go here. The Bible says about kings, it says in Proverbs chapter 31, verses four and five, it says it's not for kings. We often think of Proverbs 31 as being, you know, that's where you want to read about, this is, what this, is, this, is, this is a picture frame for my wife, right? Proverbs 31. But it also says in verses four to five, it's not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes intoxicating drink. So it's a word to kings. If you're going to be king and you're going to be a ruler, never mind the booze. Stay away from it. It, It'll lead you into bad places. In Proverbs 20 verse 1 it says, wine produces mockers. So then all of a sudden this party is going on and then a weird picture. Let's read from verses 5 to 9. Suddenly fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together the king called aloud to bring the conjurers the Chaldeans the diviners the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck." That's the Mr. T starter kit that they were gonna get for for that, so. Anybody remember Mr. T? I was gonna put his picture up here, but I didn't. But they were gonna get this nice big gold necklace and a a purple shirt and all of this stuff and have authority of the third ruler in the kingdom. Now why the third ruler in the kingdom? The third ruler because he was the second ruler. Remember his father, Nabonius, was really the king. He was called King Belshazzar because he was kind of filling in while his dad was away. And so the only offer he could make was the third ruler of the kingdom. And then in verse 8, then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, his face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. So here you've got a thousand drunks sitting in this room. They're all looped. And then not a person coming in and walking over and writing on the wall, but just that, just a man's hand. A hand comes in and writes on the wall in front of them all. And there was a movie one time, I forget what it was, it was about an astronaut that died and, and came back and it was just like the writing hand. It was back in the 60s, I remember when I was a kid, I saw this movie, I can't remember the name of it or anything else, but it, just, it was terrifying. It was one of those ones that was on, one of those late night Friday night movies that I wasn't really allowed to watch, but somehow I was able to watch it because my parents were away. And, and uh, it, it, I remember it really spooked me and it was about this, this, this hand that wandered around, oh the hand didn't write, it went around killing people, that's what it was, it was just a hand. So, oh, sorry about the young kids here in the front row. <coughs> Glad I didn't put a clip of the movie up on the, on the screen here. <laughs> so, but here. So you can imagine, you're sitting in this room, everybody's intoxicated, and they look up and they see this, just a hand comes and writes something, you don't even know what it is on the wall. Belshazzar is so filled with fear, adrenaline rushes into his body. Um, he's just like, what is this all about? What do I do? The reason it upset him is probably because he was guilty. He probably knew, this is something written against me, and I know what I'm doing right now is something I shouldn't be doing. See, sometimes handwriting is something like that. Remember when Jesus, when the woman in adultery was brought before them, before him, and they brought it, they just threw this woman, probably just the way they found her, threw her in front of them, and said, she should be taken out and stoned. And what did he do? wrote with his hand, handwriting on the, on, the, on the sand in front of them, and what did they do? When he looked up, he got up and he says, so, whoa, it's just you, just the lady. What he wrote made them feel so guilty they all left. Who knows what he wrote? Was it meeny meeny tickle you, Farson? What was it? Who, who knows what he wrote on the sand in front of them? But he wrote, and the handwriting that was written was convicting. You see, when God writes handwriting on the wall of your life, is it convicting? Is it telling you, I've got to stop here and take a minute and think about this. I've just read God's handwriting. Where did we read God's handwriting? You read it here. Do you read the scriptures and do the scriptures speak to you and say, well, this is God's handwriting. And it's making me feel I need to do business with God. I think that's where Belshazzar was. He's there looking at it saying, I'm desperate. What do I do here? Okay, I'll I'll, I'll go to the default position that we've always done before. We're going to call in all the magicians. We're going to call in all the soothsayers. We're calling in the mod squad of, of goofballs that don't know anything because they've been proven over and over and over again. They don't know anything. They can't interpret this. And they're looking at it saying, hmm, don't know. And they're all looking at it and they're all perplexed. Why couldn't they read it? Well, maybe there were some kind of symbols that nobody knew what they were. Maybe it was written in Hebrew. Do you ever think of that? These guys did not speak Hebrew. You know, here's all these men, and they're looking straight at the words of God written on the wall, and they can't understand it. They can't, it doesn't, doesn't enter into their minds what it is. They, they just can't figure it out. It's an incredible picture of what, The scripture is called the natural man. Natural man, what's that? Is that the guy who eats granola and lives in a tent and, you know, climbs mountains and stuff like that? A natural man. It's not that at all. The natural man is the person who lives away from God. The person who has not been born again by the Spirit of God. The person who doesn't know the God of heaven. They think they're trying to get to know him. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. They are spiritually discerned. Without the Spirit of God, the Bible can, can sometimes just not make sense to you. You read it and you think, I don't know what that's saying. It's just a bunch of words on a page. That's the natural man. But the spiritual man, the person who knows God, the person who has a relationship with God, the person who has the Holy Spirit living within him, the person who's been born again, when they open up the words of Scripture, sometimes you're looking at it and think, never saw that before. Wow, that's God actually speaking to me. Well, We gathered a little while ago for the Lord's Supper, and we looked at passages that were written thousands of years ago, didn't we? And some people would look at it and say, yeah, that's just kind of Holy Speak talk. Those are nice poetry things to read. But they were truths to us. There were things that we understood. There were things that, that appealed to our hearts as the word of God. Why? Because the spirit that is in us makes the word of God alive to us. So here they are. They're looking at the wall like the natural man. It's spiritual speak to them. But they do not have a connection with the God of heaven who wrote the words. And they can't understand what it says. So what do they do? They start looking, what are we gonna do? How do we figure this out? The king is now, I mean he, he, he's so, have you ever been scared almost to death? Um, where, where did that happen to me recently? There was something happened and I felt like all the blood rushed out of my body. Well maybe it was when I was, I was at my desk and I was concentrating and I was studying on something and my wife walked in the room and she touched me on the shoulder to ask me a little question like, what would you like for supper? And all the blood rushed out of my body because I was not expecting the hand, the fingers of a woman's hand to come and land on my shoulder. And it was like, whoa. It wasn't a hard question. What would you like for supper? Oh, okay, uh, whatever you're making. Which is always the correct answer, by the way, men. So sometimes God will use things in our lives that will get our attention. And sometimes it will scare the life out of you. A close call, a family tragedy, a work crisis. Sometimes people just need to be shaken up for God to get their attention. If he's speaking to you now, I would say, don't delay and get it to a point where he has to bring something like that into your life to get your attention. Listen to him now. And see, the problem is we get into these situations and we get into the things like Belshazzar and the writing is on the wall for us. It's now an expression that is used in common language. The writing is there on the wall. You know this is bad. And what do we all default to do? We all start thinking, how can I get out of this? Don't we? How can I get myself out of this? And there's no thought to turn to the God of heaven. You should be asking yourself, What do I need to learn from this? What do I need to learn from this that points me to the way out, to the God of heaven? So they get desperate, and and then it's known, hey, there's this guy. We found a few times that they think, hey, there's this guy, Daniel, the wise prophet. Look at verse 10. Then the queen, who was probably the mother of of, the, uh, of King Belshazzar, entered the hall because of the words of the king and his nobles, and the queen spoke, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in the kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the king appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight and interpretation of dreams and explanation of enigmas and solving difficult problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned and he will declare the interpretation. So here we have the queen, queen mother comes in and says, we, we have a guy. He can interpret this. He's done this before. She uses the same description of Daniel as Nebuchadnezzar did. So all the wise guys failed. But here's, here's, here's the one who can do it. And he's brought in, and I, I love what Daniel's response is. Let's, uh, well, I should read the next few verses. Then Daniel was brought before the king, verse 13, um, and the king spoke to Daniel. Are you Daniel? Daniel. Who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from from Judah? Now I have heard about you, and the spirit of the gods is in you, and the illumination and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just as the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me, that they might read the inscription and make the interpretation known to me, but if they could not declare the inter- but they could not determine the interpretation of the message, so here we have Daniel brought in. Again, it was very difficult to find any kind of a picture because they all showed this young dude standing there looking at meeny Meany Tickle Eupharsen on the wall. Daniel's 70, at least 70 years old at this point in time. Maybe closing in on 80. He's an old man. He's waked up, like brought out of sleep, brought into this wild party. I notice he wasn't at the party. Why bring the Christian? Because, I mean, he's just going to be a damper on the whole thing. So we'll leave him, let him sleep. and. He was the, remember he was the chief of the wise men? But he wasn't even consulted until the last minute. You know, it's kind of interesting. Nobody wants to hear from a preacher until they're desperate. And here they're desperate, and they want to hear from a preacher. Isn't that something? I mean, people, people saying on their deathbed, okay, I, I've, got, I've got an answer to this. I've got to find out. I mean, I'm desperate now. And so now in desperation, they go to the man of God. He's not intimidated, I love how he comes in here, I love his response, we're gonna read it in 16, verse 16. Verse 16, it says, uh, or this is still Belshazzar speaking, he says, but I personally have heard from you that you give, uh, able to give interpretations to solve difficult problems. Now if you're able to read the inscription and make the interpretation known to me, you will be clothed in purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority As the third ruler of the kingdom, I love what Daniel says here. Then Daniel always has the best answers. Daniel says, and the king answered, or then Daniel answered and said before the king, "Keep your gifts to yourself and give your rewards to someone else." I love that. Like you're going down, man. You're surrounded. What am I going to be like, third in command for a day? Because this is this is over. The party is over and I'm going to be third in command, yay, for a couple hours, no thanks. Don't want it, been there, done that, don't need it. However, he says in verse 17, midway through, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory and majesty to King Nebuchadnezzar your father. And because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples and nations and the men of every language feared and trembled before him, and uh, um, whomever he wished, uh, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive, and whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he, whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, we did, looked at this the last time. Remember how Nebuchadnezzar went insane after he walking around on his walls and saying, look at this great Babylon that I have established. I've done this, and I've done that, and then God says, oh Yeah. And then he ended up for seven years, like an animal, eating grass in a field. So we read this, a summary of that in verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud he behaved arrogantly, he was, dis, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like the, that of beasts. And his dwelling place like... Uh, with wild donkeys and he was given grass to eat like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whom he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. What a sermon. You bring in a preacher, guess what you're going to get? A sermon. And he did. He brings in... There's, sorry, I meant to have that on for when I read this. He comes to him and he says, all right, I've got four charges against you. I'm gonna bring four things up that you need to know, Belshazzar. First of all, you've disregarded knowledge. You've known. History has spoken. You know what your grandfather went through. You knew what God did to him. You knew that in the end, he praised the God of heaven. You knew what your grandfather stood for. You knew him. And you ignored that. You had that knowledge, yet you ignored that. You know, you're going to be judged, Belshazzar, on the light that you have. You're going to be judged on what you know. You know, we we live in a a day where we have a lot of light in this country, in our homes, in our land. We have parents, grandparents, great-grandparents who have known Jesus Christ and have spoken to us about him. I sat in my, my little study yesterday and I sat there and I, as I was thinking about all of this and I looked and surrounding me, I had four Bibles, written Bibles and a computer with a million Bibles on it. That's a lot of light. Just get Neil Sterling to come in here and hold up the Bible that has no words on it. And he tells you it's for so many people groups. And people will default to say, yeah, but what about the people who live in the far reaches of the world that have never heard the gospel? What's God gonna do about that? Well, you know what? That's not really my concern. It is my concern to get the gospel to them, yes. But I have so much more light than they do. I have so much light in this land. I'm surrounded with Christians. I am surrounded with Bibles. I could turn on the radio at any time I want and I can hear on 93.9, I can hear the word of God proclaimed. I can go on television at times and watch Christian television. With a computer, I can stream thousands upon thousands of sermons anytime I want into my home. I have a lot of light. You, in Canada, here today, have a lot of light. And God will hold you a lot more responsible than the person from the far reaches of the world that have a blank Bible in their lap and do not hear the word of God. Belshazzar, you are sitting here. You have the testimony of your grandfather. Your grandfather knows God of heaven and you choose to ignore it. That's the first charge that's brought against him. The second thing he says to him, you have defiled the God of heaven. You know who that God is, yet you have chosen to mock him, to make fun of him, and to ridicule him by drinking out of these these vessels that belong to him, that have been set apart for him. The next thing, you have defiled yourself with false gods. You know the true God. You know what the true God has done for your grandfather. You know all of that, but you have chosen to ignore it and you've worshiped false gods instead. And you know what, we do the same thing in our country. I'm gonna find my own way, I'm gonna do my own thing. It's not about the God of heaven, it's about me. I'm the God of me. And that's the way we're taught in our schools, that's the way we're brought up in this land. And that's the same charge that's been brought against Belshazzar here. And finally he says, you have not glorified the true God. The reason that you've been made, the reason that you've been placed on this earth, is to glorify the God of heaven and you've chosen not to do that. You know, these are, these are very... I'm so excited I just forgot to do all this. There. Verse 23, you'll read all four of them. You've exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of the house before you and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and iron and wood and stone, and you do not hear or understand, but God, in whose hand your life, breath, and all your ways you have not glorified. Those are very serious charges against the king. And I believe that those same charges can be said against us in our land. And we have more light than most now we have this weighty pronouncement. He's going to interpret what's on the wall. Verses 25 to 28. Now this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, mene, ticle, eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tikal, you have been weighed in the scales and found deficient. Perez, eupharsin is, is a, another way of saying that. Peres, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. Why does he say numbered, numbered? Why does he say meany, meanie"? I think there's two things. He says, one, your number is up. You've been numbered. Your days are numbered. All of us, our days are numbered. We're talking about this at work. Somebody mentioned the other day, man, there's a lot of young people in here. Yeah, you know what? We all have an expiry date. It's 100% going to happen. His days are numbered. And not only that, numbered, your days are numbered, but Numbered, your number is up. Your number has been called forward. It's done. None of us know when that day is. None of us do. So the time to prepare for that is now. The time to prepare for that is before the number is up. Our days are numbered. It says in Psalm 39.4, James puts it this way, your life is like a vapor. You know, at my young tender age right now, Mark, you know, I'm still... Mark offered me a job if my job falls through, so that's awesome. I'm glad people will still hire old people. But when I look at it and I think I am closer to the end than the beginning. How did that happen? How did that happen? How did I get to this point now where I am so quickly? I mean, when you're when you're Sam's age, you're just about to set off. And you're thinking, "Ah, oh, this is yeah, we got a life together." Believe me, son, you will be at my point way quicker than you ever think you will be. Your days are numbered. Our life is like a vapor. It just comes, it appears, and goes away. So what have you done? Are you ready for the life that is after? That's going to be a lot longer. That doesn't, you're not going to say, wow, that went fast. It's not going to go fast. It's just going to go. Eternity is forever. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed to men, all men, everyone, once to die, and after that, face judgment. That very night, his number was up, and it will read in a couple of verses, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. There's a last night and a last breath for everyone. Second thing, second word, tekel. You're weighed, Belshazzar. You're a lightweight, you're a fluffball. There's nothing to you, there's no substance to you. You've been weighed in God's balance. And guess what? You've, you've come up short. You've been found wanting. You know, the Bible tells me that Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and what? Fall short. Don't weigh up to the glory of God. All of us, every one of us, all have sinned. And then finally he says, your kingdom will be divided, you Pharson, between the Medes and the Persians. Now, you know what the Medes and Persians did? It was, it was quite brilliant. They came in. They're around this city. Its walls, I think I talked about the walls before, hundreds of feet high, 60 feet wide. You could run chariot races on the top of them. Impenetrable, impenetrable. You couldn't get through it. <laughs> so it was, it was this kind of a city, and they're thinking, okay, how are we going to get in there? Brilliant. The River Euphrates that watered the hanging gardens and all of that stuff ran right through it. So Cyrus the Mede said, why don't we divert that river over into that swamp over there? Okay. And then they walked the dry riverbed under the wall and took over the kingdom. That very night it happened, October 11th in 569 B.C. I believe it was, they know exactly when it happened. All right, I gotta catch a ferry. And so my final WP, what's the point? What's the point? Okay, you're talking about stuff from, from thousands of years ago. And we're here at Northbrook Bible Chapel in Dartmouth, and it's 2017, last time I checked. What's the point in all this? Here's the point. This was Belshazzar's last night. And we're given a, a historic account of it. We're told all the details of it. There's a last night for everyone. There's a last meal for each one of us. There's a final statement that will come from our mouth. There's a last breath, and then there's eternity. And in the meantime, your life, as it's weighed in the balances with God. Not your good deeds and your bad deeds. It's God and you. There is a scale. But we get it wrong. People say, yeah, when God weighs up my good deeds and my bad deeds, hopefully they're at least there, but I really want them to be here. But that's not the way God's scale works. God's scale works as, I'm here. Put yourself on the other side. And it'll always be that way. He's holier than you. He's more righteous than you. He's more right than you. He's more powerful than you. He's all of those things. And you will always be found wanting. You will always come up short if you measure yourself against God. And there's one way to make that right. There is only one way. In Revelation chapter, or Romans chapter three, rather, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are a lightweight when it comes to God. Revelation chapter 20 talks about handwriting again. It says, the books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is truth from the Word of God. This is not just me making this up. This is the Word of God, the same one that established, has been established by, by these archeologists. Once again, they've, they've pulled up proof that the Bible's true. So on the final day, the final judgment, a lot of people will realize the party is over. The party was over for Belshazzar. When you're standing before a holy God, a righteous God, and he opens the books, and your name is not found written in the book of life, You will have no way to change that. There is no changing that handwriting at that point in time. The party will be over. But for those who know Christ, those who know God, those who have have established a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and that's the only way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No other way. Not religion, not works, not anything you can do, not being good to your neighbor, not giving money to the church, not doing anything else, but coming through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to God. But by doing that, eternity will be the biggest party ever, and that's when it starts. Maybe God is sending you a wake-up call. Maybe he's been trying to get your attention. I want to tell you some good news here about the handwriting on the wall. In Colossians chapter 2, we read this thought. It says, Jesus Christ has taken the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He took it away, nailing it to his cross. The handwriting on the wall said, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. But when he died on the cross, he took that handwriting that said, you're guilty, that was written on your wall, and he nailed it to his own cross. And you can be forgiven of your sins by accepting that sacrifice for you. His word is saying to you, if you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation, he will save you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I wonder what you'll say to him. I wonder what you'll say. Are you going to be saying, shut up, shut up, you're jamming my signal. I'm busy, I'm working, i got stuff to do. Or will you say, you know what, I've been warned. I've been warned, thank you. I know what I need to do. I remember hearing my, the testimony of my son. He said, I stood there pumping gas into the car, and I thought, I don't know. Like, I, I'm so sick of my life. What do I do? And he said, you know what? I know what to do. I know what to do. I need to turn to Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do today. If you, You've now been warned. If you know, if God is, is coming to you and saying, you fall short, but I recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ died for me, he, is, he will take that handwriting that's against me. He will take it away. And he will forgive me of all my sins, my past sins, my current sins that I have right now, even the thoughts that I have about what you're saying here. And even the ones that I'll commit in the future. He will forgive all of those sins. And he will do it today. He will forgive you completely if you come to him. May you do so today. Father, thank you this morning. As we study this lesson in history, it speaks so loudly to us, Lord. It speaks to us that, just like King Belshazzar, our days are numbered. You have the number of our days. You you know everything about us. You know from the time we were born, you know the future, you know when we'll die. Our days and the number of them is with you. And Father, we do know, because your word tells us, That when weighed in the balance against your holiness, against your righteousness, against your sinlessness, we fall short because we're sinners. And Father, we know that without that sin taken away, we are doomed. But Father, I thank you. You sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to go to that cross, a cross of shame, a cross where he was nailed between heaven and earth. His blood was poured out. He was mocked, spit upon, but your word says that while he was doing that, he took my sin upon himself. He took all of the things that were written against me, all of the things that I have violated in my life, he took them upon himself and he died in my place. He bore your punishment and now I just believe that, I trust that for my whole life and for my eternity and I am forgiven of my sin. I don't know if there's anybody here this morning who has never come to that point. I I, I think there probably is. And I pray, Lord, that they will look into these things, that they will take a Bible, they will open it up, and they will turn to your word, and your word will speak to them. The handwriting of your word will speak to their heart. And they will do business with you and find forgiveness of sins. May they do so for the name and sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.